Orchestra. Well, today we have gathered to celebrate the resurrection. And if there were no resurrection, there would be no reason for us to be here. And yet there have always been those who did not believe in the resurrection of Christ. In fact, during New Testament times, there were those who did not believe in the resurrection. The hedonists did not believe in the resurrection because they believed that everything important was in this life. So we celebrate this life. We enjoy the pleasures of this life without any consideration of the possibility of future accountability. Their motto was eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die. And that sounds very similar to the popular philosophy of our own day. Do whatever you wish because this is all there is. And then there were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the theological liberals of that time. They did not believe in the resurrection. In fact, they did not believe in an afterlife because they did not believe in the Word of God. There were the Gnostics. The Gnostics saw everything physical as being evil and everything spiritual as being good. So the idea of a physical resurrection was repugnant to them because they were trying to put the physical behind them so they did not believe in the resurrection. Today I want us to look at a passage of scripture where two of Jesus' disciples encounter the resurrected Christ. The passage of scripture is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. If you do not have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. I hope you will take one and look at this story with me. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse number 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Interesting story. Two disciples on the way to Emmaus and they encounter the resurrected Christ. Now, it says in verse number 17 that they were looking sad. Why? Because they were discouraged. They had been followers of Jesus, believing that Jesus was the Messiah. They saw him crucified and the Bible says that now they are sad. They are discouraged. 
But as I look at this passage of Scripture concerning these two disciples, I think we see what discouragement does to us when we are discouraged. First of all, when we are discouraged, we tend to drop out. When we are discouraged, we tend to leave the fellowship, whether it's in business, whether it's in sports, whether it's in the church. When we become discouraged, we tend to drop out. And that's what I believe these disciples did. You look at verse 13. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. I believe that they were leaving because they were discouraged. They had seen Jesus crucified, the one they had followed. Now he is dead. They were discouraged, and so they are leaving the fellowship. Barnes wrote, they seem to have given up all for lost and to have come to the conclusion that Jesus was not the Messiah. Their master had been crucified contrary to their expectation. Their hopes dashed, their anticipation disappointed, and now they were returning in sadness. What I want you to see about these two guys is that they were, they were leaving Jerusalem, going to Emmaus because they were discouraged, and so they are leaving the fellowship. They're simply dropping out. I think that's what happened to Judas, and that's my personal opinion. I believe that Judas thought Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom when it became apparent to him that he was not, not and Jesus spoke more and more about his impending death, then I think Judas became discouraged and dropped out selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Peter was discouraged by the crucifixion and dropped out. In fact, after the crucifixion, Peter said to the other disciples, I go fishing. In other words, he was saying, I am going back to do the things that I used to do. Uh, this used to, used to be my career. I was a fisherman. And now that Jesus has died, he was discouraged and he was going, I guess, to try to get his old job back. But that, folks, that's what happens when we get discouraged. We drop out. I know that some of you have dropped out of the church. You became discouraged about something. Maybe something happened. Maybe something didn't happen. But for whatever the reason, you became discouraged with the church. And so you dropped out of the church. That's what happens when we're discouraged. When we're discouraged, we have a tendency to drop out, to leave the fellowship. Second thing I think that happens is when we are discouraged by the present we have a tendency to turn to the past you know to the good old days we begin to look back to the things as they used to be the bible says that they were sad which means gloomy so there is this cloud hanging over them this cloud of gloom that is over these two disciples now look at verse number 18 and you'll see what i'm talking about one of them named cleopas answered and said to him are you the only one visiting jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. You know what they're doing there? They are remembering the things were when Jesus was alive. Oh, he was a mighty prophet. He was a man powerful in word. And so they are remembering the way that it was. And then they said, well, Maybe he was just a prophet. Things are 
not what I thought they were. Maybe he was just a prophet. And verse number 20 says they crucified him. That's what they did to prophets. So as I look at these two disciples, they are dropping out, leaving Jerusalem, the fellowship for Emmaus. They begin to remember the way things used to be. Oh, he was mighty in word. He was mighty indeed. We followed a man who was mighty, but they crucified him. And so they begin to focus on the past. Third thing that happens is that when we become discouraged, we, we lose hope. There in verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping that it, he was the one. We were hoping that he was the prophesied Messiah, but they crucified him, and now he's dead. They became discouraged, and now they lose hope. It seems to me, as I talk with people today, I, I don't know that in my lifetime I have seen so many Christians discouraged. Christians are very discouraged today. Good has become evil, evil has become good. We sometimes feel that we are without power. And ladies and gentlemen, unless we believe that Jesus is alive, then we really have no hope. Unless we believe that he lives, there is no hope. There is no justice without the living Christ. And it could be true that those who have the gold make the rules. There is no heaven without the resurrected Christ. Mark Buchanan wrote the book, Your God is Too Safe, and he talks about the early days of his faith when he committed his life to Christ, and many of you can identify with this. He said, I hit the ground running. Immediately I volunteered for everything, anything that I felt vaguely interested in and marginally qualified for. You remember those days? I'm just excited about Jesus. I do. I'd do anything I was asked to do. I did some things I was not asked to do. Just excited about the Lord. Then he continues, but something somewhere went awry. The zeal fizzled. I joined the ranks of the murmurers and fault finders, those that did not like the music or the sermon or the color of the azaleas behind the church and I found their number legion. That's what happens when we lose hope. See, that, that's what happens whenever we lose the hope of the resurrected Christ. So, to the discouraged, Jesus offers hope. Now, admittedly, he begins with a rebuke of their doubts in verse number 25. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the apostles have spoken. So the first thing Jesus did was to rebuke them. He says, O foolish men. There are two words in the Bible translated foolish. One of them means wickedness, but the one Jesus used here means weakness. He says, You were weak. Your faith was weak. O foolish men, you were weak in Believing, Barnes wrote, he reproached them for not seeing what he had himself so clearly predicted and what had been foretold by the prophets. He said, oh foolish men, you are slow. You're slow to embrace what I told you. So he begins with 
rebuking them because you see folks whenever we live a life of doubt rather than a life of faith whenever we are hopeless rather than have hope then we become discouraged and defeated so Jesus encourages them now in verse number 26 was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory Jesus is saying he asked them now they were discouraged and then he asked him wasn't it necessary wasn't it necessary? You see, the, the truth is, it was necessary for Jesus to die to fulfill Scripture. It was necessary for Jesus to die to save mankind. It was necessary for Jesus to die to fulfill the purpose of God, and that's what he's saying. In other words, this is not something that happened arbitrarily. He said, this is not something that happened accidentally. This is not something that happened apart from the knowledge and the will of God. He said it was necessary. That's an encouragement. Because sometimes we think that things just happen arbitrarily, but he says, no, it was, it was necessary. It was an encouragement to them because they were discouraged. That's what, folks, that's what the Lord does. He encourages. Simon Peter was discouraged after he had denied the Lord and so the Lord sent word to encourage him. In Mark 16, 7, Jesus said, But go tell his disciples and Peter. I always emphasize that, and Peter. He mentions him by name. Why? Because he had denied him. Three times he said, I don't know who he is. So can you imagine how Simon Peter must have felt? So the Lord says, Go tell my disciples and Peter. He is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he said to you. As I look at these two disciples, they were discouraged. I know some of you are discouraged today. I hope you're encouraged. I hope the truth of the resurrection is an encouragement to you, and I want you to be encouraged today. They go on. They were looking sad. Now they are amazed. Look at verse number 22. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. He said these women amazed us. Well, the story of the resurrection is an amazing story. And so these two disciples were discussing what the women had said. There are three different words that are used to refer to their discussion in verse number 15, the first word, and it came about that while they were conversing, the word conversing means a casual conversation. They were just walking along and they are casually talking about what these women had said. So the word that is used there means a casual conversation. And then it says in verse 15, and discussing. The word discussing literally means to examine. And it suggests strong debate. Now then as they are going along, they're discussing what the women said. Then they begin to debate it. Is it true? They said that he was alive. Is it true? How could it possibly be true? Is there any evidence that it's true? Well, if he is alive, then what are we supposed to do? What does that mean to us? So the Bible says that they were going along, they are casually discussing it, 
Then they begin to debate it as they ask questions. The third word in verse 17 is exchanging, which means throwing back and forth. And now then they are throwing ideas back and forth as to what it means. The women said that he was alive. There was no one there. What does it mean? Is there any evidence of it? And they're throwing ideas back and forth as to what it might mean. Now it's in this discussion that Jesus interrupts them. So they're having this discussion as they walk along and Jesus interrupts them and reveals the meaning in verse number 27. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. You know what he's saying? As he is talking to these two men who are discussing the empty tomb and what it means, he says, everything about Jesus is in the scripture. Everything that happened to him is about the scripture. That means then that he was the Paschal Lamb of Exodus chapter 12. When the Hebrews were released from bondage as a result of the death angel passing over finally, the Passover was established and God said to the Hebrews, I want you to take an unblemished lamb. Slay the lamb and take the blood and put on the doorpost. And when the death angel sees the blood, then the death angel will pass over you. So what Jesus is saying is that I am the Passover lamb who shed his blood for you. I'm the Paschal lamb, the one who died, who shed his blood for you. That's me. He is the scapegoat of Leviticus chapter 16. Once a year, the high priest would take a goat. He would lay his hands on the goat and confess the sins of Israel. They would then take the goat and lead the goat into the wilderness. The people would cry out to the goat. They would spit on the goat. They would pull the wool of the goat. And Jesus is saying, I am the scapegoat who carried your sins away. Which is what the Bible says in Colossians that all of our sins were placed on the cross and he paid for our sins. He is the scapegoat. So what Jesus is saying is that I am the Paschal Lamb. I am the scapegoat. He also is the brazen serpent of Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers 21, the Hebrews were in the wilderness and they were being bitten by serpents and so Moses made a brazen serpent and put it up on a pole and everyone who looked to the brazen serpent was healed and Jesus is saying I am the brazen serpent. In fact in John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 Jesus said and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. So Jesus said everything is a fulfillment of Scripture. Everything about me is fulfillment of Scripture. He said, I am the Paschal Lamb. I'm the one who shed his blood for you. I am the scapegoat. I'm the one who carried your sins away. I'm the brazen serpent. Anyone who looks to me will be saved. And he is saying that his death and resurrection then changed the lives of all those who believe in him. Peter, Peter denied Jesus. We know that. Three times he denied that he knew who the Lord was but he spent the rest of his life confessing Jesus. Paul went from persecuting the church to preaching the gospel 
of Christ. His life was changed and you have been changed. I look sometimes out on Sunday morning and I, I see so many of you and I think, my goodness, how your life has been changed. Because there's some of you, I know your stories. And I know what the Lord has done in your life, how God has changed your life. That's what Jesus is saying, that, that the resurrected Christ changed your life. So they were amazed. And then the Bible says they recognized him. Look at verse number 30. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They were amazed by the women's story. And now then the Bible says that they recognized him, that their eyes were open. How'd they recognize him? I mean, they're sitting there now, then they recognize. How did they recognize him? I don't know. I don't know what happened. But the Bible says that they recognized him. One commentator said they saw him to be the Messiah. Their doubts were gone and they saw clearly that he was risen and was truly as they had long hoped, the Savior of men. Maybe they saw the nail prints in his hands. Maybe they saw that. Maybe they saw the wounds in his side. Maybe they saw the scars of the crown of thorns that had been pressed upon his brow. I don't know. But the Bible says that they recognized him. Their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. They recognized him. You know, sometimes on Sunday we sing that little chorus, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. This past week as I prayed about the service that you would be here and God knew you would be here. My prayer has been that God may open your eyes that you will see Jesus. There are so many things we focus our attention on but our prayers open our eyes Lord. We would see Jesus. The Bible says that their eyes were open and then their hearts burned in verse number 32. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us? They went from the cold hearts of doubt to the hot hearts of faith. Their hearts were warmed. They burned within them. Let me ask you a question. Is your heart really warm towards God today? There are times in my life that mine is and there are times when it's not. What about you? Is your heart warm towards God? They said our hearts burn. When we were with him our hearts burn. Well if not then how can it be? How, how, how can you have that? Because I know you want it. I know that if you know the Lord, because I pray for that. Whenever my heart grows cold, and my heart grows cold at times. And I pray, Lord, warm my heart. You know, warm my heart again. How can we have hearts that are hot for God, that are warm towards God? Well, the first thing is that we have to spend time with Jesus. In verse number 15, it says, And it came about while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. So he came in a time of discouragement and walked with them so they spent time with Jesus. That's the reason their hearts were warm. 
Folks, if you want your heart to be warm towards God, then you spend time with Him. And then you spend time in Scripture in verse number 27, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself and all the Scriptures. I really believe that, that our hearts will never be on fire for God if we do not spend time with Him, if we do not spend time in His Word, then we cannot have hearts that are hot for God. But we do if we spend time with Him and His Word. And then it says, they arose and returned, verse number 33. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. Do you see the urgency of that? The Bible says that they arose that very hour. Now it must have been night. I'm assuming that it was night. But they couldn't wait for the morning. The Bible says that very hour they arose and returned to Jerusalem. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to be with the people of God. They had left the fellowship of faith when they left Jerusalem. They had left the fellow believers when they left Jerusalem. They wanted to get away from it all. They went to Emmaus. But now that they've been with Jesus, they can't wait to get back with the people of God. So the Bible says that they came that very hour, arose that very hour. And then in verse number 34, saying the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Now what they are doing at this point is telling their story. They had heard the story that the women told. We went to the cemetery. His grave was empty. He has risen. And now then they arise to go back with the people of God, saying they're telling their story, their testimony. We've seen the Lord. And he's risen. There's little doubt in our mind but that Jesus died. We know that that is true. Jesus died on the cross. The good news is, is that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the grave. And because he rose from the grave victorious over death, then you and I can have life as well. But now then, you must decide as to what it means to you. We all do. The so what? What does it mean to you that Jesus Christ is claimed to be alive? Well, you can be like the hedonist and say, well, you know, I'm not really interested in that. I am interested only in this life. That was them. Without any regard to the possibility of future accountability, I'm only interested in this life. You can be like the Sadducee. See, I'm not sure that I believe that. It's my prayer that you will be like these two disciples. Their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus and their hearts burned within them. And that is my prayer that the Holy Spirit will do in your life, that your eyes will be opened to see the resurrected Christ and your heart will be drawn to him. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation asking, Lord, that you open the eyes of those who are here that they may see Jesus. I pray, Father, that you will touch the hearts, that the Holy Spirit will apply your word to our hearts. And, Father, that we might respond to you in faith. In Christ's name I ask. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. We extend an invitation. 
The staff is going to be standing here at the front. My friend, if you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, but you believe that he is alive, that he has risen from the dead, then I pray that you will come today to receive him as your Savior. It is also my prayer that as a Christian, maybe you've become discouraged along the way, that today you will be encouraged by the resurrected Christ and commit anew to following him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our church family. Stand with me, please, as we stand. The choir sings, you come, I'll greet you as you do. seated. Again, I thank you for worshiping with us today on this very special day as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Let me tell you something. On April the 10th, we're having a night of joy uh, out at the new, what is it, Spirit, Spirit Communication uh, Ballpark, the new baseball stadium. And it is going to be uh, the Brookland Baptist Church and First Baptist Church. We've done this before, but we're just doing it in a new setting. It's going to be a wonderful night of joy. Hope you'll put it down. We're going to be the first event in that new stadium. 
So we'll get out there and sanctify it before they play any ball games there. So you'll want to be there. It's just going to be music. It's, uh, it's just going to be a time of music and, and uh, just a great time of fellowship together. Then Josh Bennett. Where's Josh? There's Josh. Keep on standing. There, there was an article in the paper uh, last week about, and it says that uh, listed Josh as one of 20 young professionals helping to build the Midlands. And we are very proud of you, Josh. Thank you. Now then, stand with me, please, as we are dismissed. Our gracious Father and God, we thank you for the resurrection of Christ. We thank you for the one who gave his life that we might have life. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.